You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are uh, in a series actually today uh, and next week. Next week we'll finish the series called Showdown in Egypt. We've been looking at the life of Moses and what's happening uh, with Moses and his early ministries. He goes to Egypt, confronts Pharaoh. And today we come to a very, very important part of the story where uh, Moses delivers the people out of Egypt through the power of God. And uh, we're going to talk this morning about the Passover. One of the most important One of the most important parts of the whole Old Testament, and it ties with the New Testament, is this wonderful thing of the Passover. And it's found in Exodus chapter 12. There's actually mention of it in Exodus chapter 11. And uh, I want to read to you a little bit of Exodus chapter 12 so we just kind of get this story in our hearts as we look at it. Before we take communion today, we'll be taking corporate communion at the end of the service. Exodus 12, 1 through 30. We're not going to read all that, but we're going to read some of this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. They are to determine the amount of the lamb needed to in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose, the animals you choose must be a year old male without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when the the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then let's go down to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land and strikes down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you down. This is a wonderful part of the story because this represents their last night in Egypt. This is their last night in Egypt. Uh, we have in the Exodus story, we have generation after generation after generation of Israelites have been in Egypt for 430 years. But this represents 
the very last night that they will be in Egypt. So it's an incredible point in the story because this is a beginning of a new era for them. I think about uh, my son, Joel, when he got married. I, don't, I think they've been married 12 years, 11, 12 years, something like that. Joel, uh, when he married Stacy, he had bought a piece of land, built a house, was gainfully employed, uh, and had finished his education, or most of his education. And uh, he decided he was going to stay in our house until the day he got married. The house was done, his new house, and uh, he just finished the painting. But he stayed in his bedroom that he grew up in uh, until the day he got married. And that day he packed his stuff up and pulled the bags through the kitchen, through the utility room and into his car and was out the door. And I officiated his wedding uh, here in the church right on this stage here. And it was, it was tough, you know, to do your son's wedding. I was miserable. It was painful. And I should have been on drugs, to be honest with you. It wasn't any fun. But that was his last, his last night, his last night in our house. I think about, you know, uh, when I graduated from high school, 1976, Seaford High School, I remember the last day of school. Do you remember the last day of school when you finished and you finally walked out of that school for the last time? Do you remember that? I remember I was in uh, Mrs. Cordry's homeroom class, and we had the last day of school, a few admin stuff there, preparing for graduation, and all my classmates that I'd been with, and we're sitting in that, that room, and she finished her administrative stuff, and I went to my locker and cleaned out my locker, and I walked down that hallway and out the door of Seaford High School for the last time, walked across the parking lot to my 1969 Chevrolet Nova, got in the car and drove off. It was my last, last day in school. Interesting about last things. I remember when Karen and I finished um, Bible College uh, 1981 in Pensacola, Florida. We, uh, we lived in this house and we had made a lot of friends while we were in Pensacola, really wonderful friends. And so all of our friends came over to help us move and to pack our rider truck. And we were going to move back to Delaware where I began pastoring this church. And uh, I'll never forget it. We had, a, we had a quamquat tree in the yard. I don't know if you know what a quamquat tree is, but it's a little tiny, little mini oranges, kind of sour. And our friends were eating those quamquats and they were coming in the house, helping us pack our boxes and load the rider truck. And then we hooked up our 1976 uh, Chevrolet Vega to a little trailer that we we're going to pull home. If you've ever had a Chevrolet Vega, you know that you've been afflicted in the flesh, you know. <laughs> so we left, and it was our last night in Pensacola. And this is the last night, the last night that they're in Egypt. And, and they don't, like, gradually leave Egypt. They leave Egypt right away, and they have to leave so quickly that they aren't, they, aren't, they aren't able to put leaven in their bread, and so their bread is unleavened. And so this feast of the unleavened bread right after Passover reminds them that they had to leave quickly. It wasn't like gradually they left. All at once, all at once they left Egypt. All at once it was over with. And I want to talk to you about a couple things in this story today. First thing is, all bad things come to an end. All bad things come to an end. 
We always hear the phrase, all good things come to an end. You know, you got a good job or you live in a neighborhood, you know, you're living free rent, something's going on good, and, and then it ends, and you say, all good things come to an end. I'm here to tell you that all bad things come to an end. They had been in Egypt for 430 years. The text is very clear. In fact, it says it in, in the beginning, Exodus 12:40. Now the length of time the Israelite people had lived in Egypt was 430 years. Then all at once, they left Egypt. All bad things come to an end. Some of you are going through a bad time now. You're going through some hardship. You're going through some suffering. You're going through some difficulty. And we have a tendency to think that when we're suffering, that suffering will never end. And when you look at the, the picture and the story of the children of Israel, one of the lessons in that story is all bad things do come to an end. It doesn't go on forever. There's a moment in time when suffering is over with. We have a tendency to look at our life in a kind of like a, a you know, a focused way that this suffering will never end. And what we're going through is, is going to go on forever. I can tell you in my life, you know, there's been some, some valleys. There's been some seasons of suffering. There's been some seasons of darkness. But I can tell you that I've come out of those valleys time and time again with the grace of God. God has helped me. God has strengthened me. I've come up out of that valley and I'm ended up back up on the mountain because God is faithful to get us through bad times and bad times don't last forever. Amen. There's a... Some verses in the Bible that are really helpful here. Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4 says, and, and this is a story about the uh, New Jerusalem coming down. You read the book of Revelation, which we are all fascinated with. But you read the book of Revelation, at the end of the book, the New Jerusalem comes down to the earth and God's people reign on the earth. We always think about we're going to heaven one day. We're going we're to leave heaven. We're going to leave this earth and go to heaven. Really, the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem coming to earth, that we're coming to earth to reign. And that probably messes up your theology a little bit, but, but you know where heaven is? Heaven is wherever God is ruling. Heaven is wherever God is ruling. It's not, you know, necessarily behind the clouds in some uh, another dimension, but I think heaven is where God rules. But here's what it says about the new order of things. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see, what the Bible teaches is that one day there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more grief, there'll be no more depression, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more funerals. There's coming a day of the new rule of God, the new order of things, where no one will ever feel sad or cry again. All bad things come to an end. And you and I, as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need a paradigm that has the eternal perspective in mind. We need to think about the big picture and not the little picture. 
We think about the little picture, what's going on with our life, you know, like the teenage devotional I, re I heard one time that was entitled, If God Loves Me, Why Can't I Get My Locker Open? We have a tendency to fixate on the now and what we're suffering, but the Bible teaches that all bad things come to an end. That's why that when you go through a hard time, if you have an eternal perspective, if you are in God's word and you're reading God's word and Jesus is Lord of your life, your eternal perspective will help you to get through the hard time because the hard time is just temporary. Here's what it says in Peter, 1 Peter. We studied 1 Peter last year. One of the themes of 1 Peter is suffering. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. After you've suffered a little while, will himself restore and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. A little while. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul has been talking about, 2 Corinthians is his most vulnerable book. He talks about his suffering, talks about emotionally being overwhelmed and stressed. Paul talks about, you know, in one of the chapters about being stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, all the hard stuff that's going on in his life. But listen to how he describes it because he has an eternal perspective. Here's what he says. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Uh, this is Psalm, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. But here's what Paul says. I skipped a verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Listen to this. Here's what Paul says. For our light and momentarily troubles. For our light and momentarily troubles. Now, if you've been shipwrecked, you've been whipped, you've been stoned, that doesn't seem light to me. But when you compare it, to Paul's perspective, he was called up into the third heaven at one point. He saw the glory of the Lord. He had a glimpse of eternity. He realizes that this is not all there is. And because of that, he had a different view. And he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So if you go to the beach, I don't know if you've been to the beach yet this year. Karen and I, when we go to the beach, some of you go to Ocean City, some of you go to Rehoboth, some of you go to uh, Bethany. Uh, Karen and I, we'd like to go to Northside, uh, you know, where the bridge is, and we'd like the bathhouses there. And Northside is getting a little narrow. The, the beach is getting kind of narrow. You, have to, you can't really sit down anymore. You have to stand, you know. <laughs> but that's our beach. But if you go down to the beach and you go down to where the wet sand is, right in front of the surf. And if you were to take an eyedropper and you were to kneel down in that wet sand and suck in salt water into that eyedropper, they say, this is what the internet says, the internet says that an eyedropper ha contains one millimeter of water or 20 drops of water. 20 drops of water or one millimeter of water in an eyedropper. Now, there's people in this world who have nothing to do, so they research. And here's another research interesting thing. Somebody's researched how many, how much water is in the Atlantic Ocean. And here it is. 82 billion gallons of water is in the Atlantic Ocean, according to this researcher. 
This is somebody spent their whole dissertation figuring out how much water is in the Atlantic Ocean. When you think about suffering, you think about what you're going through, it's the eyedropper. It's the 20 drops of water that's right in front of you. But if you look beyond that, beyond that eyedropper, you will see an ocean, a vast ocean. And that represents God's eternal glory that we'll enter into. God's eternal glory that will never come to an end. His new order where there's no tears, there's no mourning, there's no pain, there's no suffering. So when we go through the things we go through in life, we've got to drill down into God's word. And we've got to see things from an eternal perspective. So whatever, whatever, I, whatever I'm going through, whatever you're going through, you look at that eyedropper and say, just for a little while, just for a little while, say this with me, all bad things come to an end. Second thing in the story of the Passover is God's judgment on Egypt. God's judgment on Egypt. And this is what I think is so interesting in the story. When I look at Exodus, I see this interesting thing that we so often miss, and that is the fact that it wasn't the devil who came in and killed the firstborn. It wasn't demons. The text clearly says that God came into Egypt to judge Egypt. In fact, all the... All the uh, the signs that Moses did were God's judgment on the gods of Egypt. And when the firstborn died during the Passover, it was God's judgment on Egypt. Let me read to you a couple verses just to drill down on this. It says in Exodus 11, 4 through 5, And Moses said, This is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go throughout Egypt. I will go throughout Egypt. And every firstborn son in Egypt will die. One of the biggest problems we have in the modern church and that we as modern Christians have is we don't really understand the gospel. We don't really understand it. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of sermons. I, I, I follow a lot of churches like you do. I listen to churches on TV, and there are so many churches that aren't really explaining what the gospel really is. The gospel is that we are under the judgment of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And God came into Egypt to judge Egypt. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Isaiah said when he saw the Lord in the temple in the year that King Uzziah had died, he saw the glory of the Lord and the seraphim singing, and the seraphim couldn't even look at God. They, they covered their eyes with one set of wings, and they covered their feet with another set, and with the other set they did fly. And when Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord... And he saw him in all his glory and all his holiness. He was self-conscious of his sin. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And woe is me. And the angel of the Lord, when Isaiah confessed his sin, took a coal from the altar and singed the lips of Isaiah. God is holy. God is righteous. 
The Bible says in the book of 1 John, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The gospel is not Jesus loves you, you're okay, I'm okay, let's all think positive, we're going to be all right. That is not at all what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that we're in big trouble because, because of sin. And when God came in to judge Egypt, the firstborn, uh, it was the hand of the Lord that brought judgment on the land of Egypt. So here's the thing about God understanding how this works. God is both love and righteousness. God is love and righteousness. And on the cross, we have love and righteousness coming together. And we have to understand the, the nature of who God is and how great God is and how wonderful he is. God is a God that's reluctant to judge. God is a God who doesn't want to judge, but God is a judge who will judge. You know, uh, my pastor in, in Florida, when Karen and I were in Bible college, uh, Ken Summerall, he used to quote a verse out of Isaiah 28, and I could read it to you, but it's, uh, it's Isaiah 28, and it says that God's judgment is his alien work, his strange work. And so when we see what happens in Egypt during the Passover, we see God coming in to judge and to, uh, to afflict the firstborn with death because it's God who judges. And it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so that's what we see in the story uh, in, in the book of, uh, in the book of uh, Exodus 12. We see that. Here's an interesting verse of Scripture in the New Testament. This verse of Scripture is, is, is just, to me, it just like is so clear. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, 8 through 10 the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. <clears throat> Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Listen to verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So there's wrath that is coming on people that don't know Christ. And Jesus is the one who rescues us from the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God. When you watch the Ten Commandments, you know, the, was it 1956 when... The Ten Commandments came out, and Charleston Heston. How many have seen the Ten Commandments? I think everybody's seen the Ten Commandments a million times. But you remember the Passover in that, in that film. It's this mysterious green smoke that's coming through Egypt and serpentinely going through the streets. And you don't really get it. It's like the death angel. And it's just this mystery. But the Exodus text says that God came to judge Egypt. He came to judge Egypt. So what was the, what was the solution for that? The solution was, was that uh, Passover represented a new start for people, a new start. They were to slay a lamb and then put the blood on the doorpost. And then here's what it says in uh, Exodus 12, 2. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. 
This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So the Passover represented a brand new beginning, a brand new start for the Israelites. They'd had years and years of slavery, years and years of bondage, years and years of suffering. But the Passover marked the new beginning. This is when your year starts. This is when it all starts all over again. So the Passover has this uh, messaging to us that when we come to Christ, we get a new start in our life. We get a brand new start. We get a brand new start. I don't know if you, uh, if you ever had an Etch-a-Sketch. How many had an Etch-a-Sketch when you were a kid? Could you ever draw anything on those Etch-a-Sketches? Really, can anybody really draw anything on those Etch-a-Sketches? I remember trying to draw on those Etch-a-Sketches. But you know, people really can draw great pictures. This is a picture of someone of the drawing the Mona Lisa on an Etch-a-Sketch. And I, how, did anybody do anything near like that on the Etch-a-Sketch? <laughs> I mean, it's really like impossible. You can't like, it's just so hard. You do these little squiggly lines and you're trying to draw something. I try to draw a little battleships, you know, that's straight lines, you know, and I can never do that. But the great thing about an Etch-a-Sketch is how many know when you mess up, just turn it over and shake it, and you get a new start. And the Passover says, this is the first month of the new year. This is a new beginning for you. This is your fresh start. You get a fresh start. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Don't you love that word, anyone? If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. If anyone, it doesn't matter how dark, how black, how sinful, how evil your life has been, the Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, everything becomes new. We get a new start. The Passover represents that, and it represents this brand new thing that we can start with. And then finally, the perfect lamb. The Passover is the selection of the perfect lamb. And they were to select this lamb. It had to be a year old, had to be without defect, and it had to be without blemish. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a one-year-old lamb this is what it looks like. That is a, an adorable little creature. How many know that is, that is a sweet little creature? You know, it was a, as a lamb, you know. Could have been a lot of things, but the Lord said, I want you to choose a lamb. And they, they had to take it into their house on the 10th day of the month, and the kids would feed it, and they would brush its wool, and, uh, you know, this lamb became a part of their family. And then, you know, during that four-day period, they were checking the lamb to make sure the lamb didn't have any blemishes or defects. They were looking on its belly to see if it had any birthmarks. They were looking to make sure it wasn't blemished in any way. And they had four days to examine that lamb to make sure that the lamb was not blemished in any way. And you think about what happened to Jesus. He was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to Pilate, and Pilate examined him and examined him. He couldn't find anything wrong with him. 
So he sent Jesus to Herod. Herod examined him, abused him, and sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate said to the people, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. He was the perfect lamb. And he went and he was uh, sacrificed on the cross. He shed his blood. And so the perfect lamb, Jesus is the perfect lamb. And the lamb in the Passover story had to be without blemish, had to be without spot, had to be without anything wrong with the, bland, with the lamb. And that was the only lamb they could sacrifice. They couldn't sacrifice a lamb that had anything wrong with it. They only could sacrifice a perfect lamb, a lamb without defect. You read the book of Revelation, and John is in, he in the glory of heaven, and John says, I, I saw a scroll that nobody was worthy to open. And he said, I wept and I wept and I wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And then the angel comforted John and said, John, do not weep, for the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open and break the seals on the scroll. And then John said, I saw a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So you see this incredible picture in the Passover of Jesus being the perfect lamb, the one that gave himself for us and, and sacrificed for us. So they had to examine the lamb, and then they had to, uh, they had to apply they had to apply the blood of the lamb. So on the 14th day of the month of Abib, that was the Hebrew month, after they examined the lamb for four days, they would take the lamb to the door and they would uh, slip the, slit the throat of the lamb. And the blood would go in a basin. And this innocent lamb that was just an innocent creature. They would shed the blood of the lamb and, and then they had to take some hyssop. And everybody would have to take the hyssop and put it in the blood in the bowl. And they would have to mark the doorpost of their house because when the judgment of God came in to Egypt, when the Lord saw the blood, he passed over that house. He didn't say, well, you know, there's some good people in that house. I mean, those people are good. They work hard. They're moral. They're ethical. I'm going to pass over that house. In the text, over and over again, it says, when I see the blood, when I see the blood. So... Not only was the blood shed, but then the shedding of the blood there was followed up by the hyssop being put in the bowl and applied to the door of the house. So we've got people in our community. I, I preached this morning at the Fenwick Island campus. We had full house and all those people down there, wonderful group of people were reaching down there. And, and you, know, uh, you know, everybody, a lot of people in our community, they know about, they know about Jesus. They know about Easter. They know about the story. They know about, you know, Christ dying on the cross. They know the story. But the question is, have they taken the hyssop? Have they put the hyssop in the blood? And have they personally applied 
the blood to the doorpost. See, knowing about the lamb is not sufficient. You must apply the blood of the lamb to your doorpost. How many remember, those of you that are followers of Jesus, how many remember the day when you applied the blood of Jesus to your life and you repented of your sins and you came, you came to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And you remember that day. Do you remember that day? I remember when I was, you know, I met the Lord when I was like 12 at Nazarene Church, Seaford, Delaware, Jack Burbage preaching. My dad met the Lord like a month before that. I'm listening to this preacher, and I don't know nothing about the Bible. I don't know nothing about anything. I'm 12 years old. All I care about is, you know, what 12-year-old people care about. And this guy was preaching, and I never, you know, we weren't very good going to church. And I heard this guy preaching the gospel, and my heart was just a-pounding. And I mean, to tell you, I don't know what, I just felt, it was, I'll never forget that night. It was Sunday night. And they gave a little thing where you could come forward, and I came forward. I knelt down, and I was 12 years old, March 25th, 1969. My dad had his hand on the back of my back, and he was praying for me, and I was praying, and I was applying the blood to the doorpost. See, knowing about Jesus is not sufficient. You have to apply the blood to the doorpost. And when it says when he comes... When judgment came into Egypt, every house, every house that had the blood applied to the doorpost, he passed over that house. Judgment did not come on that house because the blood was on the doorpost. The only thing that stops the judgment of God falling upon humankind individuals in the human family is the blood of Jesus the blood of the lamb that's what protects us and rescues us from God's judgment and God's wrath and God in his love and his mercy he sent his grace he sent his mercy he sent his love he sent he sent a lamb that was without spot and blemish and the Bible says that when uh, when John the Baptist was on the shores of the Jordan River, he saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Passover in the Old Testament, there's a connection with the New Testament, and that's Luke 22, Luke 22, where the disciples said to Jesus, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover for, for you? Where do you want us to do the Passover and he said, go into town, you'll see a man walking with uh, water on his head, a, a, you know, a, a, a jar of water on his head. And women always did that and so in that culture. And so you saw a man carrying water. It was kind of stood out. And I don't know if it was a prearranged signal or what. But he said, you go in, you'll see a man carrying water on his head. You follow him, he'll take you to the place where we're going to have the Passover. So they, they have the Passover in this place. And the key... And the Passover meal is all about the lamb. And if you read Exodus 12, the people behind the blood on the door had to consume all the lamb. They had to eat the whole lamb. They'd eat everything before morning. So when you get to Luke 22, and Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the, the Passover, you expect the lamb to be on the table. There to be a lot of talk about the lamb. But there's no talk about the lamb at all. 
Instead, Jesus, at the end of the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat this, for this is my body broken for you. And they took of the bread and they were partaking of the lamb because Jesus was the lamb. So the Passover story is about, it's what the gospel really is. The gospel is we deserved God's judgment. We deserved it. And when we get a glimpse of him who he really is and we see the purity, we see the righteousness, we have this, there's rebellion in our hearts against God. We want to do our own thing. We want to be who we are. We want to be our own Lord. That's all sin. Hey, who, who cares what you think? Who cares what you think about all these things? We'll do what we want to do. That's the attitude of the human heart. And when you come to the Lord and you see how holy and righteous he is and how much he loves you and how he has this grand plan for you, you repent of your sins and you say, Jesus, I, I repent of my sins. I can't save myself. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your judgment. And I believe what you did on the cross and I dip my hyssop and I put it to my heart and I receive your forgiveness and I'm protected. I'm protected from your judgment. Years ago, some friends of ours, they invited us to go to hear James Taylor and I'm a big James Taylor fan, Carolina on my mind, you know, got to get away once in a while, Carolina on my mind, sweet baby love, all that. So we're going to go hear James Taylor. We're excited. We're going to go to the Kennedy Center to hear James Taylor. And, uh, man, Karen's pumped. I'm pumped. Man, we're going to hear James Taylor. And, uh, and so we put our jeans on, put our T-shirts on, and we headed up to Washington, the Kennedy Center, Kennedy Center not thinking that we're going to the Kennedy Center. And when we got to the Kennedy Center, we were the only people in jeans and T-shirts. <laughs> Did we feel weird, really weird? I said, Karen, why didn't you tell us about dressing up better? <laughs> Even James Taylor had a tux on. The orchestra... And we were so out of place and so underdressed in this august concert of one of our favorite musicians. And when you think about you can never step into the presence of God with your jeans and T-shirt on, you've got to be clothed in the righteousness of God. Clothed in the righteousness of God. You that follow Jesus, those of you that are followers of Jesus this morning, you are clothed in light. You are clothed in righteousness. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to find you and help you in your time of need. As we prepare to take communion, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord, and I want you, if you haven't received the Lord, if you never accepted the Lord, just know what the gospel really is. The gospel is you're in trouble. You're in big trouble.
you need a glimpse of how glorious he is and how great he is. And if you are here this morning and you've never really understood the gospel, before we take communion, you can take communion for the first time as a follower of Jesus before we take communion. I want you to just say, Lord, I recognize your greatness. I recognize your holiness. I recognize your purity. I recognize who you are, and I repent of my sins, and I put my faith in the perfect lamb that's been sacrificed for me so I can receive salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I want you just to slip your hand up as the Holy Spirit is moving. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Danny, before you serve communion and you pray, I want you to pray for me because I want to put the Lamb's blood on my doorpost. List your hand up real high if you want to do that. Don't be ashamed. Just say, I'm not trusting in my religion. I'm not trusting in my goodness. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. You want to put your faith in blood. People raising their hands, receiving Jesus right now. Let's all pray this together, everybody. Let's pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your love is immense, that you have come, Jesus, to be my substitute, and your blood protects me from the wrath of God. We know it's in God's heart to provide you as a sacrifice so that we can be saved. Say this out loud, everybody right now, I receive you, Jesus. I put my trust in you. I apply your blood to my life to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Take a moment right now as the Holy Spirit's moving. Just raise your hand, wave your hand before the Lord. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Thank the Lord for his great salvation. Thank the Lord for his mighty salvation. Thank the Lord that you are eternally secure in the arms of the Lord, protected by the blood of the Lamb, never to experience the wrath of God. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.